welcome back to the Baked Beans podcast. Today I'm here with Anna. Hi. And we're going to be talking about books today. So a little bit of context. Anna and I both are frequent users of the app Goodreads. Yeah, like I only recently started using Goodreads, right? I don't know, when I first went into it, I didn't expect so many people to be writing reviews. I thought it was just an app to figure out like what book to read next, you know? But then the fact that people write reviews is like, I don't know, such a fun and interesting thing to read. Yeah, I'm a big fan of your reviews, Anna. Oh, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe you can like tell me about your review writing process for books. Oh, wow. To be honest, like, um, when I first started using Goodreads, it was honestly just to record what books I've read. Yeah. And, and then I realized, like, as I was adding these books, I wanted to at least have a record of what I thought Uh of each book. Yeah. Um, especially because at that time where I was starting to use it, that was when I was really motivated to start reading more. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people have, including me, I think a lot of people have like, um, like a past of like really loving books and reading them a lot. Yeah, like in primary school, right? Like all you would do was read and then in high school you just stop reading. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's so bizarre because everyone that I speak to about books with everyone says they want to read more and it's one of those things that everyone says i wish i was reading more i do want to read more but um i guess like you kind of fall out of touch in high school that's how it was for me um and then it was like also a challenge for myself as well because i wanted to test my like attention span if that's something you can train yeah. yeah yeah Um, yeah, and then, okay, well, going back to Goodreads, um, yeah, then I thought, as I was adding all these books, I wanted to keep some sort of record of how I felt about it, and then gradually, I mean, after the first couple of reviews, I think you naturally start thinking about different ways to read the book Mm -hmm. and glean meaning out of it. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's always been a fun thing for me. I think if I took it too seriously, it wouldn't be fun anymore. Yeah, I get what you mean. What was the question again? (laughs) (laughs) Review writing process. I guess you answered it when you were saying how, like, you wanted to do the review to, like, capture what you thought of the book. Like, your reaction and stuff, right? It's more, like, personal, right? Because I see some a lot of reviews on Goodreads that are, like, like from other people that are like oh you should read this book blah 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 why you should like this book is blah 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 right and then i always thought that's what like book reviews were but then i realized that they can be like very personal it's just like what you thought of the book and like your own personal takeaways were that's so nice (laughs) that's actually really nice wait i thought that's what you were saying no not at all i didn't think of it that way i didn't think that me writing reviews for my own personal record could mm-hmm. also be representative of um, a new way of reading into books and their mm-hmm. meanings. Um, I think the reason why my reviews don't go down that route is because I didn't think anyone was going to be reading my oh. reviews. Yeah, um, I think 
reading is something that people do very casually. I was a very casual reader. So to go into Goodreads and first of all, log the books that you're reading oh, is yeah. kind of obsessive. Yeah. And then to start writing reviews for them. Like I felt comfortable writing reviews because um, I don't think anyone was active on Goodreads uh-huh. at the time that I was using it. It's kind of like having a little blog for yourself, you know? Yeah, like, that's what I use Goodreads as as well. Yeah, like yeah. a blog or like a personal diary. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's the crazy thing now because like, like, I find that like we have a few friends, like we share friends who mm-hmm. also use Goodreads yeah. and it's like a little community and it's yeah. like you're not just a friend anymore, you're also my Goodreads friend. <laughs> And I know that's always something we can talk about. Mm. And same with, like, all our other friends who use it. It's mm. like, hey, I saw you reading Flowers for Algernon. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> How's that? Yeah. That kind of thing. Well, okay, anyway, I think I talked a lot about my reviews on Goodreads. Uh-huh. What about you, Lauren? Um, like, my reviews? Mm, what's your process? What inspires you to write them? I think... I think the books that I like are the books that reflect on my own personal life in some sort of manner. So then my reviews are more just like, oh, what I learned from them. Because like at the end of the day, I do just write reviews for me to like remember like what I liked about the book. So if I write in my review like exactly what like lesson I took from it, then I can easily just like read through my reviews and have like a really quick snapshot of what really stood out in the book to me so for example like like that book you mentioned before flowers like algernon right the general plot is that there's this um like mentally disabled man like for his whole life he, he's wanted to be smarter and then they recently um like discovered this new type of surgery like brain surgery that they could do and it would make you like significantly smarter than you were before and then Algernon is the name of the rat they first like attempted the surgery on. And then they later attempted it on the main character. And then so the book is just about like his troubles navigating in uh, what he thought was like a familiar environment, you know, like his family, his friends. But he's seeing it all in a new light, you know, now that his like mind is like, I guess, like opened by this surgery. Because it becomes really smart, like 500 IQ smart. But what does that mean? Like, in what way is he smarter? Like, what definition of smartness? Mm, Like, I guess, like, I get what you mean. Like, yeah, so academically, he becomes a lot smarter. And then also, he becomes more, like, self-aware, I guess, in a sense. Because before, when he was mentally disabled, and then other people were, like, bullying him, and, like, laughing at him, he would just laugh along, because he was like, oh... Um, laughing equals good but then now that he like got the surgery he's able to tell that they're actually all laughing like at him and they're all like making fun of him and the people he thought were his friends were actually like not friends with him at all they were just bullying him Mm. so yeah in that sense he did become like street smart you know that's so interesting i wonder what the author is trying to say i mean i think you explained the story really well i didn't know flowers for Algernon was about that yeah I think I must have read the plot once or twice and then forgotten about it yeah but I always had the feeling that it was a good book yeah yeah so including you I think three people in total have recommended that book yeah 
um yeah so clearly it's impactful on people yeah it really is yeah but i wonder what like underneath the premise of the plot the author is trying to say about Mm. smartness and like mental disabilities and stuff right yeah yeah because seeing the book like yeah seeing the events happen in his perspective was quite different Mm. yeah that reminds me of the book we read in high school curious incident mm, of the dog in yeah. the Time by mark haddon yeah i reread that recently mm-hmm. as well yeah yeah what did you think did you compare it to flowers of algernon or how would you compare it i guess it is like like the premise is similar but the way they approach it is quite different because i think like like the mental disabilities they had were like different mm, yeah for like flowers for algernon like this man was like unable to like go about daily like everyday day-to-day life like he was like very like handicapped but then i guess in the curious incident this child he was just like a normal child with autism he just didn't understand like social cues but otherwise he was just like he's perfectly like, capable right so then the things they explore are like inherently different because of that mm-hmm. i think i enjoyed both books but in very different ways because for curious incident right like the boy is autistic so you see like all of his opinions about things that we like regard as just like trivial like for example you can't eat food if like different foods are like touching right and also he views social interactions very differently because like his father would say like oh don't talk to strangers so then when his neighbor tries to talk to him he's like very wary about it right and then when the neighbor is like oh you don't have to be wary of me and then he's like oh but you're a stranger so i have to be wary of you like it's kind of like um i don't know how to describe it like they the way that he views things might be different from like social convention but it's very logical yeah you see the logic behind his like actions because he's Mm -hmm. like can't talk to strangers because my father told me not to but then if you just met someone like that in real life you'd be like oh why is that guy so weird can't even talk to like his neighbor you know Mm, i guess like true it is different because in okay i feel like in curious incident it reveals something about from the it reveals like what life or like the mind of someone with autism or one person with autism mm-hmm. what how that changes everything mm-hmm. for them yeah whereas i'm guessing for flowers for algernon that's all in the perspective of that one person and oh maybe like what i'm trying to say is like for curious incident you definitely feel like an observer mm-hmm and you make your own judgments whereas for flowers for algernon because he in the plot he goes through that experience of before and after the surgery so you know what he's thinking and maybe you're more of an observer in flowers for algernon because it really feels like you're watching someone else go through the journey of awareness Mm. whereas for curious incident I can't remember off the top of my head what actually happens, but I remember 
I definitely remember the narrator's voice very yeah, clearly. Yeah. Not the things that he said, but it definitely showed like life, but a bit viewed quite differently. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what I'm trying to say as well. Like his thought process, the way he thinks is like very understandable and very, very logical, even though it's so like out of the ordinary. Yeah, so like you as an observer. I forgot what I was going to say with that. I kind of forgot what I was saying halfway through. (laughs) I lost my train of thought. Ages ago. Yeah. Ages ago. So, you would recommend Flowers for Algernon? Yeah, I would recommend Flowers for Algernon. Yeah. And I heard that's your favourite fiction book. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, the reason why I like it, actually, let me just pull up my Goodreads review. You haven't written many reviews. Yeah, I haven't. It's because some books you read it and they don't really have that big of an impact. So I don't really have, you know, like that much to say about it. Mm. But I try to like rate every book that I that I've read, like out of the five stars. Yeah. Yeah. Rating feels more like a feeling. There's no logic to yeah. the five star ratings that I give yeah it's just like if I like it a lot five stars mm. anyways my review for flowers for Algernon why am I unable to like navigate this app <laughs> it's a hard app yeah it's, it's actually strangely like I don't know not very user friendly but it feels kind of good too because it doesn't feel as addictive mm. I think if it was made to be addictive well, actually, I don't know. I don't know if I'd still be reading. Ooh. It's like when you download like a dieting app or like yeah. an exercise app, uh-huh. when you feel the pressure to reach a certain caloric goal or do a certain amount of exercise. I mean, there will be days where you slip. Yeah. And then, yeah, I guess like using guilt to reinforce uh, goals yeah it's a lot of pressure for me uh-huh. so the Goodreads app I feel like is a very slow form of social media mm. so I'm able to like reinforce a more positive relationship with reading yeah. and I mean reading is kind of a slow activity yeah in general so it makes sense to have a slow app yeah that is true but it's still really hard to use <laughs> like like yeah. what I mean that's true i also don't use the app like very often i just use it like sometimes when i'm like you know write a review here and there anyways my review for flowers for algernon i said that the reason why i like the book the most is that at the core of its message it answers the question is it better to live blissfully in ignorance or is it better to be aware of everything that's happening but face the difficulties that knowledge will inevitably bring because at the beginning um, the main character, Charlie, right? He was, like, unaware of everything that was happening. Um, like, when people were being mean to him, he thought they were laughing with him, not at him. Or, like, when his mother was, like, rude to him, he couldn't really understand it, so he didn't really feel that, like, pain that he later on felt once he realised that, like, um, yeah, the relationship was, like, actually... Actually, the mother is a bad example. Because in the beginning, he recognised that that was, like, a toxic relationship. But I guess with, um, like, his boss and his friends, he only realised that they were, like, toxic later on when he, like, gained more 
like brain power I guess so it's like yeah uh, which one was better like before he had the surgery or after he had the surgery you know yeah this book leads the reader to believe that like after the surgery is better because it's better to like mm. know more you know and like deal with more problems but it's also uh like i guess you just experience more because when you live in ignorance like nothing can hurt you but also you don't experience like the ups and downs if you don't experience the downs i feel like that's a very (laughs) this is gonna sound so pretentious Uh (laughs) i in my head it already sounded pretentious and now that i've committed to (laughs) telling you that i'm about to say it it's just like building up the pretension Uh but what i was going to say is that sounds like a very postmodern book oh in what in what sense uh i guess like something that i'm thinking about recently and i've talked about this with other friends yeah uh, as well but the idea of authenticity uh-huh. and genuinity yeah and maybe or maybe not related but also purity uh-huh. so i feel like the book preaches not preaches it argues for a way of thinking and looking at the world um in a more authentic way the idea that as opposed to living in ignorance we should strive for something that is more grounded in reality and therefore more authentic yeah um which is interesting i agree with that i agree with that stance but i wonder sometimes about what it means to live authentically and Mm -hmm. what that might constitute and how can we be reasonably realistic and i guess pessimistic sometimes yeah and like practice cynicism but also maintaining an optimistic and hopeful outlook and I think it's the combination of both like cynicism and optimism that leads to a more authentic way yeah. of living. Uh-huh. That's what I'm at right now. I think that's still like a very ambitious way to think though. Yeah. I'm still quite young. I'm not yet jaded. <laughs> <laughs> jaded. I mean, I was talking to my older sister yesterday. Uh-huh. I was like kind of asking for her opinion on something I was feeling troubled about. Yeah. And she, the general tone of what she was saying to me was like, I've been there and uh, I was like you when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And then as the years went on, I became jaded. Yeah. I was like, damn, I hope I'm not jaded. Not in a bad way, but I think I want to preserve optimism for as long as possible. Mm. Preserve optimism? I I mean... (laughs) Isn't that also kind of choosing to be ignorant? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I... That's what I took as. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I was like... I guess I was like that before because... 
um like me moving to melbourne for example right if i didn't move to melbourne i feel like i would have just gone to like unsw where like most of my high school friends have gone to so then consequently that would mean that i stay in like the same bubble the same high school bubble for the next like three four five years of my life and i just like stay inside my comfort zone right but um the fact that i moved to melbourne i would say is me like choosing to seek out more knowledge you know seek out more of the world okay yeah this is like i don't know if this is like offensive to compare but i would compare like um like charlie the main character before the surgery as like me choosing to go to unsw and then him choosing the surgery and like seeing life in a different perspective is like me going to melbourne and like you know exploring like a different lifestyle <laughs> so that's where i draw like um the connection between that book and my life and then before mm. i always thought like oh i should have just like if i stayed in sydney i never would have like had to experience all like the loneliness and that stuff that i felt in melbourne and all the uncertainty from like being away from like family and friends and stuff but then now after reading this book i can like say for certain that it was a good thing because experiencing all those things was like like an opportunity for growth yeah because ultimately that's what charlie did when he after he got the surgery he was able to like grow and see relationships and like friendships in a different way rather than just like the surface level of like oh if they um laugh when i say something then it means we are friends and they like me very interesting how even though the plot is like not realistic oh yeah yeah yeah. but i guess that's like why it's amazing like storytelling Mm -hmm. can be sometimes Mm um yeah it's amazing how even in a plot or a story that you wouldn't normally encounter in your day-to-day life yeah um can at the same time still be told in such a universal way Mm. and i mean universal Mm. in a very loose sense but i mean in the sense that you could relate an experience that was very personal to you yeah to another story that is very personal and specific i mean i've personally never heard of that plot i don't know if it's a common plot yeah but i guess like the way that they told the story is also told in such a unique way that it spoke to your unique experience yeah i think i understand like what you mean like you know how when you write a book like no matter what the premise or the plot is um the underlying message is like usually something to do with the human condition right so as long as you have the human experience you will be able to relate yeah (laughs) is that what you were saying um yeah yeah Yeah. that's kind of how i feel as well like even like the silliest books they all have to do with like like what it's like to be a human being right Mm. even if it's like a story about um like a a rabbit and a turtle on a race like even something like as simple as that it like teaches you a lesson about patience and stuff 
which is something that like every human has to learn no i agree i think the simplest stories can tell the most simple things in a way that feels really profound i'm just thinking of a book the book is called my year of rest and relaxation by Ertesa Moshfe uh-huh. mm-hmm. I think in high school we're taught to like analyze the hell out of whatever we're studying yeah to the point where you it almost feels like you're further and further away at, um from experiencing the text in the present like you it's like the more you know, the further away you feel from the oh, text. Oh, okay, yeah. That's how I feel. And so coming from that experience to read this book, um, I guess that made me aware of um, this like muscle that we're taught in high school to exercise, of uh-huh. like constantly reading meaning into everything. Yeah. So Moshe, she writes in such a way that um, she doesn't try to inject meaning or um, tell a lesson or a message overtly. Um, the way that she writes makes it seem like, look, here is what I have to say. Yeah. Take it or leave it. This is what I'm trying to say. Oh. So her story really feels like... I mean... I'm a very defensive person. Okay. So um, I feel like whenever I speak, I have to constantly stop myself to justify myself and justify my opinion. Um, whereas Moshe writes in such a way that she doesn't care about your opinion per se. Yeah. Um, in a, so I guess um, what I'm trying to say is like she writes... In, it was very refreshing to read. Yeah. And yeah, so I read this book last year. Um, and recently, Chris read it, and that got me thinking about the book again. And I was reading on my review on Goreeds, obviously. Yeah. Um, my review for this book at the time that I read it. And maybe I should pull up the review. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to misquote myself. As if I'm going to, like, offend future me when I'm <laughs> listening back on this podcast. Bro, but imagine if this episode was sponsored by Goodreads. Imagine how good that would be. Oh, Goodreads, if you're listening... Hit us up. Yeah. Please support Lauren and her baked beans podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have the review. So... No immediate meaning or purpose came to me. Whatever did seemed more like an afterthought. I went back on sections I'd highlighted and bookmarked and educated myself with reviews and still had to sleep on it, then wake up and think about it for my entire morning after to gain some sort of insight. (laughs) When I read that, um, it must have been like a week ago, maybe. So very recently. I read back on that review and I found... I felt so embarrassed reading that because (laughs) I've read from other authors since then. And I guess, like, what I've learned over the past half year (laughs) is that, like, books don't necessarily need to have meaning. Uh 
Um, and I think this is something I learned from Chris's review. Maybe I'll quote Chris's review. Ooh. This is a shout out to Chris. Shout out Chris Co. Dude, what you said about books not having meaning kind of reminded me of this tweet that I saw and it was like, oh, it's okay if your life doesn't have a meaning or you a greater ambition. It's like, okay to just find interesting things until you die. And I was like, mm. Mm, straight facts. Mm, wait, I really agree with that. Yeah, right? Yeah. Maybe that's like a save note for later. I have a lot to say. About <laughs> oh, okay. That. Okay, save note for later. Come back. We'll, we'll circle back. Yeah. And we won't. <laughs> we won't. <laughs> um, right, so this is what Chris said. She wrote this review on the 20th of August, 2020. Mm. So five days ago. Five days ago. Very recent. Yeah, super recent. This is what Chris said. It can seem quite easy to detract meaning from a book like this because of like instilled surface resentment, resentment for rich white people and their inherited privileges bracket at least for me crying emoji bracket (laughs) and at times i did feel like i was itching for a little bit more from the book like more bold or distinct commentary i guess dot 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 but also i liked that it kind of just left stuff out in the open and let us judge shit for our own it kind of felt like they bracket the author and also the main character bracket didn't give a shit what we thought and didn't try to coerce our opinions in any way, which was cool. Yeah, so I guess Chris planted this seed in my head, mm-hmm. but it was pretty enlightening because at the time when I read it, I felt so devoid of immediate meaning that I felt compelled to educate myself with reviews. Yeah. Which is so funny reading back on now because, um, Educate myself on what? Right? Like, (laughs) no one's telling me how I should be reading a book. I don't think there is one way to read a book. Yeah. And so reading Chris's review now made me realize how much my perspective on reading books has changed. Mm -hmm. Because that's one of my favorite books. And it was refreshing to read because it really was so funny without having to justify how funny it was. Yeah. And it's a very... Moshe, she writes in a very bold kind of way. It's yeah. something I can't really describe. She's a really talented author. I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, you know, half a year ago, I felt desperate to write reviews that um, communicated things that I've learned you know, every single lesson from yeah. every single book that mm-hmm. I've read. And I guess in this instance, it couldn't really apply to my year of rest and relaxation because yeah. um, I don't feel like there is a greater meaning that yeah. Moshe tries to communicate in that book. I think ultimately she's trying to tell a really interesting story. And so to look back on what I wrote about that book was really funny <laughs> that I was trying so desperately to figure out what this book was about uh-huh. um, and now I think about that book and it's like it's just a fucking funny book um, Dude, yeah yeah it's so funny when you like halfway through 
you talking about that, I was like, <laughs> this is probably stupid, but I'm like, oh yeah, hearing you talk about the content of the book, I'm like, oh yeah, it relates a lot to the title, my years of rest and relaxation, and the writing style is like very like, um, like simple, you know, and like, um, like straightforward. It's like the same vibe, like rest and relaxation, straightforward delivery style of like the writing. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no. I just realized I didn't even talk about the plot. Oh, yeah. The plot is so important. As <laughs> so I was trying to describe everything about this book except yeah. for the story itself. <laughs> um, no, no, I think, I think you're so on the mark. Um, and I think this is a really, uh, this book is a good example of how the plot can mirror the style of the book really well. Yeah. The book is called My Year of Re- Rest and Relaxation because it's literally about the narrator who uh, commits to a year of rest and relaxation, Ooh. aka she has a sketchy psychiatrist, gets heaps and heaps of drugs yeah and she kind of is just knocked out for half of the book so (sighs) half of the book is just her blacking out and waking up in the most absurd situations i think like one day she wakes up and she's like on the subway and she's wearing a really expensive fur coat (gasps) and she looks on her phone and there's like photos of her at like a rich people art party with this elusive contemporary artist yeah and she's like what happened i think half the book is her going what happened when i was knocked out so yeah that is such a different vibe to what i was expecting from like (laughs) The title and what you were talking about. I don't know why, but I thought the book would literally just be about her, like, her time sitting on a beach at a beach house, just like drinking pina coladas. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if we replace beach with New York, uh-huh. I think it's just from New York. That's oh, yeah. where everything happens. New York, uh-huh. comma New York. Yeah, I always find that so funny. By the way. Like, okay, we get it, you're in New York. But then you say you're in New York, comma, New York. Yeah. I know it's like... Oh, I finally got what you meant. I just thought you were repeating New York twice. And then now <laughs> I meant you meant, like, New York that's in New York. Yeah. yeah. I remember I told this to someone, and they were like, why are you hating? Like, New York is a city and also a state. Yeah. And I think, yeah, isn't that crazy? Dude, imagine if someone had the same first name and last name. I feel like that would be the same vibe as New York slash New York. Like, you're like, oh, hi, my name's Anna Anna, and I'm from New York. <laughs> yeah, there's, like, an architect called Giancarlo DiCarlo. <laughs> <laughs> and the first time I heard that, I was like, can you say that again? <laughs> Giancarlo DiCarlo. He has the word Carlo twice. twice in his name. Yeah. I'm not making <laughs> fun of it, but it rings so well <laughs> yeah it, it really does that's powerful new york new york giancarlo de carlo oh my god giancarlo <laughs> de carlo lives in new york yeah. new york <laughs> bro 
powerful. Dude, we should send him to New York. Gene Carlo to Carlo. Yeah, Gene Carlo to Carlo. This is getting ridiculous. <laughs> oh. What else is there? I can't think of anything. Oh my god, I don't know why I thought of bananas and pajamas. That's not the same thing. <laughs> they just rhyme. They had a really good theme song. Bananas in pajamas. That's all I know. <laughs> Yeah. A bananas in pajamas. And they're going down that staircase. Going down the stairs. No, wait. Is that part of the song? <laughs> going Did down I just make that up on the spot? No, it's part of the song. Oh, I don't know. I just remember, like, the imagery of them walking down yeah, the stairs. me too. Bro, why mm. is bananas in pajamas such, like, a trippy TV show? Like, we, as a mm. kid, we kind of just, like, accepted it, right? But, like, think about it. The two gigantic bananas... And they're wearing matching pajamas. <laughs> like that imagery is quite funny when you think about it objectively. And they're huge. There's yeah, like they're other massive. characters in the show. There's a rat and like mice. And what? they're all the same size. What? Obviously bananas and rats and uh, mice are not the same size in real life. Shit. Wait, I didn't know there were other characters. No, okay, I'll show you. Wait, is Bernard and Pajamas the same franchise as Bert and Ernie? No. Oh, Bananas in Pajamas is Australian. What? That is new. I did not know about that. But what else could it be? I don't know. I just always thought it was like... I just think like all of my the shows that I watched as a kid were like American. <laughs> they look Sense. so funny. Wait, why are their eyes so like blank and voidless? I'm a bit scared. Yeah. But they look like this now, which is worse. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> okay, yeah. Also, it's not mice. That was so mean of me to say. They're what? teddy bears, oh which is God. much cuter. <laughs> I mean, mice are pretty cute. I don't remember those three teddy bear characters at all. I, I guess I wasn't really an avid watcher of bananas and pajamas. Oh, there is a mice. That's a rat. Oh, <laughs> there is a mice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there is a mouse. That was my favorite show growing up. Seriously? Yeah. Damn. I, damn. What was your favorite show? Either Garfield or Tom and Jerry. So you've always liked Garfield? Yeah, I've always liked Garfield. I love Garfield. Wow. Yeah. Was it a show? It was a show. Yeah, the show was called Garfield and Friends. So then it's like, there's two segments, right? Like, half of the episode would be, like, Garfield doing his thing. And then the other half would be, like, this pig Orson and his friends, like, in a farm. And they, like, that they never meet. So it's technically, like, two shows, but it's, like, mixed into one somehow. Wait, is the friend a cat as well? The friend? Mm. Like, Garfield and Friends, the friends refers to, like, Orson, like, the pig and his, like, farm animal friends on the farm. So the friends are not cats. Oh. <laughs> like, the other animals are, like, oh, like a rooster and, like, lamb. Oh. And, like, a lamb and, like, ducks and stuff. Yeah. Wow. You know what? It's quite a weird concept now that I think about it. Yeah, I didn't expect that. I didn't grow up... I didn't know there was a show, but I do have strong memories of reading the comics from time to time, but I didn't read them often. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that Garfield was like a comic series until like 
couple years ago like as a child i just thought it was like from that show like garfield and friends oh did you watch the movie there's a couple yeah i watched one of the cgi ones Mm. where it looks like he's like 3d i didn't like it it's not the same oh yeah i wonder if you were to watch the movie again have you watched the tv show recently yeah i have i still really like it oh is it different to when you were watching it when you were younger i think when i was a kid i just liked it because it was like a cartoon and then i had a dvd for it wait let me let fermi in hold on she hears us talking about garfield oh my god and she's like i have a cat let me join yeah where's my tv show yeah fermi has now joined us in our podcast making Mm. yeah so like i was saying before garfield i just think garfield is a lot more wittier now because i'm older so i understand like all the jokes that he's making but then i think as a kid because like i think at the time i wasn't really that good at english as well so like a lot of the things he said just like flew right by my head i just kind of accepted it and i was like yep talking cartoon cat on tv very fun Mm. but now i appreciate it more deeply yeah (laughs) even though it's a garfield cartoon but like some of the stuff he says is very funny yeah yeah i mean i think that's what a good story is Mm -hmm. if it can resonate with children and adults yeah or it's still funny and relatable no matter where you are in life Mm -hmm. anyways bringing it back to books (laughs) (laughs) um uh, yeah do you want to tell us about some of the books that you brought today (laughs) 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 um where to begin do you want to pick a book you pick the book i'm okay i'm very interested about conversations with friends because the title sounds very like could go either ways you know like when i read that title i'm like i expect the book to literally be about just like snippets of conversations but then i'm like no way the whole 200 pages is just about like conversations right has to be like linked in some ways and i'm like ooh, what is the story gonna be about like the title i feel like already is very interesting really yeah um i think i think both are right if there are conversations with friends yeah there are conversations with friends um talking in real life talking over the phone talking over email talking over messenger oh yeah uh, or like text messaging yeah um yeah and then it's also not just conversations with friends it has both (laughs) yeah that's what i'm trying to say um well, the book that we're talking about is Conversations with Friends by Sally Rooney. Oh, yeah. I forgot. <laughs> um, and I felt like I wanted to include that because Sally Rooney is, like, my favorite author. Oh, I think okay. right now. Yeah. Um, Sally Rooney, she is interested in relationships and friendships uh-huh. and our relation to one another. So this book is about conversations with friends but it's also about friends more generally and also 
love and desire i guess like our relations with other people what is the story about like is it like a sequential story where like every conversation that's included is like ties into like the like like a running plot or is it like oh mm. one conversation and then a short story and then another conversation and a short story about that neither it's oh. not centered around the conversations of oh. friends um funnily enough okay um again i should have just explained the plot <laughs> at the very beginning um it's about two friends bobby and francis yeah and it's told from francis's point of view um and bobby and francis meet well they've just freshly graduated from college yeah um and then they perform slam poetry together um and they used to date in high school and they don't anymore but they're best friends yeah in the time of this book and after one of their performances one day they meet a reporter called melissa and it's sort of about how their friendship changes and like how everything changes for them after meeting melissa melissa is married to a sort of local actor uh-huh. called nick and francis and nick start an affair oh mm. okay yeah so very raunchy very scandalous yeah very intense uh-huh. um it's quite a sexy book sometimes too oh i think that's why i also like it (laughs) (laughs) um yeah melissa and nick are older and they have a very different life to bobby and francis um first of all they're like age different yeah and also their professions and all their personalities are also very different so I think something that Sally Rooney does really well is um, capture the different dynamics of different relationships. Like she's able to paint that sort of tension in a really exciting way. Yeah. In a sense, like all of her writing feels like definitely from the same author yeah they're all about the different relationships that we have yeah um the different relationships that other people have with each other as well and um what those relationships and how we treat the other person um can often tell more about us than they do about them um you know as you're talking about this right my brain just went on like a whole separate tangent like yeah. when you started talking about how, um, like the like four different characters, they all leave like lead very separate lives, right? And how like the book is about, like teaches us about like relationships and stuff. I was like, it reminded me of the movie The Breakfast Club, right? And I mm-hmm. talked about this in my second podcast episode with Ashley, like the lessons that I learned from that movie. And I think similarly, like similarly, I haven't read this book, but I feel like if I did read this book. I would gain like a similar sort of lesson from it like I would be just as enlightened with this book as with the, the breakfast club so now it like gets me all excited to read this book 
I'm very excited to read this book. Yeah. <laughs> you can keep it after today. Oh, are you finished with it? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I think, like, this book reminded me of, like, the joys of reading. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, there's certain books that I read that I'm, like, that are really good and it makes me want to read more. But then, like, I have to go on that sort of streak, you know, of, like, oh, good book, good book, and then good book. This mm. moment I hit a bad book, like, a book that, like, doesn't interest me as much, I'm, like, I, like, lose motivation for reading that book, and then I lose motivation for, like, reading in general, and then I just stop reading. But I feel like this book has reignited my excitement to read. Wow. Yeah. That's so powerful. I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the complete opposite for me. Really? Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, earlier I said when I give a five-star rating or a star rating for uh-huh. any book in general, there's no logic to it. <laughs> it's oh, purely yeah. based on feelings. So uh-huh. I find that, like, after reading a book that I really liked um, and it's, like, one of my favourite books. Yeah. I have a lot of favourites. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I find that after reading a very good book, after you read the last sentence, it's like you've been on a whole journey. I mean, reading books takes time as well. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. It feels like after I've read a really, really good book, yeah. actually that makes me not want to read another book or it makes me want to wait a bit before I read the next book. And then, oh, okay. Yeah. So To like absorb the first book or is it like... Just like a mental break for your brain to not be overwhelmed. Yeah, I think so. I never come out of a book thinking, oh, I've learned this, 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 this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, no meaning ever immediately comes out of the book for me. Yeah. Even if I've really, really enjoyed it. Uh Like, just because I've learned certain things from it doesn't necessarily mean that's the meaning of the book. Oh, yeah. 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 I think that's pretty self-centered. Yeah. Right. Um, Yeah. It always feels, like, quite emotional after I've finished reading a book. Mm. Yeah. Especially because writing feels so personal. Yeah. So, more than just, like, listening to the story that the book is trying to tell you're also hearing it entirely in someone else's voice. Yeah. Which is also quite exhausting sometimes, but Uh, in a good way, it's still exhausting though. Is it like, is it kind of like after you finish the book, you kind of miss the narrator as if you like become friends with them when you're reading the book? Because I feel like that Mm, sometimes. Yeah. What's a book that makes you think that? Like... Catcher in the Rye. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because Catcher in the Rye is, like, the main character, like, Holden. He's very, like... His personality is very bold, right? Mm -hmm. So you immediately know the kind of person that he is. Whether you think it's, like, good or bad, or whether you like him or not, like, you're very aware of his personality, right? Mm -hmm. And then so by the end of the book, you've gone through his whole journey, where basically um, he got kicked out of private school, so he's just, like, wandering the streets of... Is it New York again? <laughs> New York, New York. I think so. I think it's like in New York or equally the Big like Apple. That's in New York. Is yeah. it? I think so. I'm so bad with American geography. Me too. Let's just say New York. So he's just wandering through the streets of New York. New York. <laughs> New York, New York. <laughs> yeah. 
and he's like um like meeting like different people like calling up people that he knows like i don't know just like on a rampage yeah around new york that's all i can say mm. so like he has a very bold personality you immediately know who he is as a person and you go with him on this like rampage and then at the end yeah it like feels like you formed a friendship with him mm. and then the book ends and you're like wait what's next what are you doing now I'm like i want to know more but there mm. is no more and then if you want to revisit it you have to just like reread the book mm. yeah i think yeah that's a really good example of a book with like a very strong narrative narrator voice uh-huh yeah um yeah when i think of catcher in the rye the events of course are like quite clear but yeah. i think what stands out more to me in catcher in the rye is his personality uh-huh. um it is quite different and yeah bold to uh-huh. use your language i think that's a good way to describe it um and at the same time i feel like that's why you feel so sentimental and tender towards him as well. Yeah. Because he's like he's very young. Yeah, he's like a high school kid, like yeah. year twelve, year eleven. I'm not too sure. Yeah. I read it I think when I was in high school. Or maybe first year uni. Yeah. Um maybe in high school. No, I really identified with him. Me too, yeah. And but I also feel like if I were to read it again now, I wouldn't necessarily, uh-huh. which is why I'm scared to revisit it as well. Oh my god, this reminds me of this review that I read about this book on Goodreads, right? Where I don't know. The, it, like the guy, <laughs> and then he reads it at like different points of his life. That mm-hmm. one, right? Yeah. yeah. So basically, he read it first when he was about like I don't know, like fifteen or sixteen, right? And then his impression was like oh, I really like this book, like, um, this Holden guy, what a cool, smart, awesome guy. And he reads it again when he's, like, 25, and then he's like, oh, I can't believe I related to such a pretentious and obnoxious Mm -hmm. dude. Oh, and then he reads it again when he's, like, 35, and then he's like, oh, um, like, I might not necessarily agree with, like, Holden, but I can see that he's, like, going through a journey, you know? And it's just about, like, his changing perspective about this book throughout his life Mm. yeah that review was actually what motivated me to read this book Mm. because it seemed like that review was so good it literally was like mind-blowing that was a good review yeah should we look for it yeah i will look for it not sure if i can find it again but i think it's a popular review for that book yeah i mean i've definitely read that one I, i know which one you're talking about yeah right another good another bad thing about like the goods read the goodreads app is that you have to type the title in exactly as it is you can't make any typos or else it like won't tell you like what the book is yeah and like i think that also has to do with like the terrible design (laughs) (laughs) but i yeah again to like go back to what i was saying i don't think that's like a bad thing as well because like there's horror stories right about autocorrect oh yeah or autofill um and search suggestions yeah so i think it's also kind of refreshing 
to have a platform where um I mean something that's quite funny about Goodreads and I think it's like a common complaint about uh-huh. Goodreads is that the book recommendations feature yeah. is terrible and yeah. it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> they recommend me the same like five books all the time. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think that's a very big problem that people have. Uh-huh. Um, but also, doesn't that just mean that with something um, as rich as books or writing in general, it's there's no telling whether it's not that easy to tell if you've enjoyed one book, then you'll definitely enjoy the next one. Yeah, that is true, yeah. Mm. There are a lot of books where I, for some reason, I have a strong feeling that I'm going to really love it. Uh-huh. Then I read it and it's not what I expected. Or yeah. there's other books where I have zero expectation and then I come out of it really, really loving it. Yeah. Wanting to treasure that it. That was me with Catching the Right. I had like mm. not a lot of expectations for this book because... Like, I heard it was just, like, a book that people learn in high school, that people read in high school, right? It was just, like, one of those, like, classic, um, like, young adult books. And then I was like, oh, I'll just give it a try. But then I actually really like it. And then a book that I started reading um, called Blindness by Jose Sara Mago, I thought it was, like, going to be life-changing. It was, it sounded really good. The plot is basically that there's, like, um... A global pandemic of like an illness that makes people go blind like completely just like can't see anything blind right and it's like very very contagious and then so um like the world gets di- divided into like people who are able to see and people like who are unable to see and i thought that'd be really interesting because um it has like like themes that i'm interested in like psychology and society right i'm very interested in things like that but then I started reading it, and then um, the, the main deterrent was that there's no, like, like paragraph spaces. If you open, the like, one page of a book, it would just be, like, a huge block of text. Like, the whole page would be full of text with, like, no spaces. Even, like, there's no quotation marks either. So when someone starts talking, it would just be, like, a sentence. Mm. And then you just have to infer that, like, it was like a spoken um, statement. Mm. It was just like very confusing to read. Yeah, there was no indentations for you to like know where you were at and to know when like a separate like scenario was being introduced. So yeah, I lost interest in that quite quickly. Mm. Yeah. Is it a long book? I think it's like average book length. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like two centimeters how long is no oh three three to four centimeters thick that sounds pretty long maybe two (laughs) i have no like of uh idea of what like how long books are me too i just remember the size oh wait that book was actually pretty thick four centimeters i would say it's four centimeters thick that's huge that's a very intimidating book I don't know if I'd like to read that. Really? I thought I would really enjoy it, but yeah, I'm still like halfway through it. I haven't finished reading it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Do you think you're gonna finish it? It's okay to not finish books. Yeah, I think it's definitely okay, but I think the book is quite worthwhile to read. Um, I think one of the main reasons that I didn't finish it was because I'm not really used to reading, so I need mm-hmm. like paragraph spacing and stuff to like keep me sort of like on track, or else. I don't know, like, my eyes wander, my mind wanders, and then I'm like, what is going on? And then I have to, like, reread the whole thing. But I think if I was more of, like, an avid reader, I would just, my eyes would just be like, zoom, 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 zoom. Mm. You know? That still sounds really, like, a lot. Yeah. Though. Yeah. But about the, um, about the lack of quotation marks. Yeah. Actually, uh, Sally Rooney doesn't use quotation marks. Oh. Which is the first time... No. Oh, no, yeah. It was, like, the first time I've ever seen dialogue without quotation marks. Yeah. And I was surprised at first. Um, but when you get used to it, you realise, like, the dialogue flows really well. I think Rooney is truly a master of dialogue. Damn. Um, yeah, she's so sharp. She's a very sharp writer. Um, and then... So Sally Rooney was my first time seeing an author not use quotation marks. And then from that point on, I started realizing how many authors out there also don't. Yeah. And it just gives such a different effect. Um, But it also makes the dialogue feel very natural. Uh Um, So there is another book called Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Evaristo. Um, that's kind of like a collection of short stories all about different women and one non-binary character, I think, off the top of my head. Um, but essentially, like, um, all of these different stories about very different people. Um, and that's, that sounds like it's the opposite of your book. Uh Actually, that book doesn't use full sentences that much um it uses a lot of lines it's like it's very common in that book for one paragraph to be a few words oh and it feels very um stream of consciousness but in a very very different way to maybe mrs dalloway yeah for example oh i've never read mrs dalloway oh yeah oh okay um where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember who else doesn't use quotation marks, but I can't think of any. Oh, Rachel Cusk. In... I read um, The Temporary by Rachel Cusk. Really? But I didn't like it. Oh, yeah. I haven't read that. What's that about? It's about this girl, Francine, and she's dating this guy. I forgot what the guy's name was. <laughs> but basically the idea that I, like, what I got from that book was that, like, Francine's character was really like um like superficial. She put a lot of her value in like what she what she like looks like, right? Like every time it was like in her like perspective, it was just about how hot she was. And then mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know, surely she thinks about other things, right? Like <laughs> I don't know. I just felt like I wanted a more uh like lush mental interior to this character. Ooh, wow. that this book did not provide it was like always just about how hot she was like how hot she thought she was mm. and then I was like oh as like a female author I expected like a bit more 
But I think the general consensus is that that book is like the worst of all the books that she wrote. Oh well, yeah, that's a bad choice then. Why'd you pick that book? I picked it because um, I was at like a bookstore, right? And then I saw like a collection of her books, and then her cover is like the cover of her books is very like attention grabbing. It's basically just like like a mint blue green kind of like background, and then one picture of Mm. like seemingly nothing just like in the cover page Mm. and then i was like oh this is very interesting so i like picked up the temporary to like read the little blurb and then i searched like the author rachel cusk right and then uh, all her other books the reviews were like very good but then for the temporary it was like bad but then i had already kind of like like the book the moment i like picked it up it kind of already piqued my interest and then i was like oh I know, like, other people say it's bad, but I want to read this. I just want to read this one. Mm. I feel like I would regret it if I, um, like, bought another book of hers instead of this one. Because this was the one that originally piqued my interest. So I ended up just buying that book anyways. Mm. But now, I should have listened to the reviews. <laughs> I mean, you wanted to be proven wrong. Yeah. Do you have the book with you here? In no, Sydney? no. It's in Melbourne. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm sad. I would still want to read that book. You've piqued my interest, right? <laughs> oh, I'm like, I think I can kind of relate to what you're saying. I feel yeah. like I'm that way with movies. Uh-huh. I feel a lot of pressure to watch really good movies. So I avoid watching the movies that everyone says is good. Yeah. But for some reason, I'm so drawn to terrible movies. Like, you know, the terrible Netflix movies and just one look at the cover you know it's not gonna be good but you want to be proven wrong I love watching shitty romance movies but then I get so angry (laughs) like I watched the first Kissing Booth right oh yeah it's like so bad I was like just angry the whole movie yeah how bad it was (laughs) and then I didn't even bother with the second one the second one I didn't even feel that urge to watch it because I knew it was gonna be terrible (laughs) and then I saw like a clip of the kissing booth like someone was like reacting to it right and then it was basically this guy and like the main guy like noah and then he wants the girl to like go into his car and he's like come on like calm down like just get in i'll drive you home and then the girl keeps walking because she's like mad at him and then he's like oh like please come in the car and then he like slams a car door and he's like get in the car and then she like gets in the car and then the person who's reacting was like, that's a very, like, toxic thing to do. And I'm like, yeah. But the movie tries to, like, romanticize that. Mm. As, like, a, this is something that hot... What's that word? Dominant guys do. Mm. And then I was like, no, no, no. That's just, like... That's just disrespectful. Yeah, oh my goodness. I... Wow. That's horrible. Yeah. Weirdly enough, like... In a lot of shoujo manga, yeah, I mean, I've been rereading a lot of shoujo manga, uh-huh. as I told you earlier. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, yeah, I'm learning a lot about relationships and everything from them as I'm rereading old ones, but something that does make me feel really uncomfortable in a lot of these, um... Well, first of all, they, they're very heteronormative. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you really have to go out of your way to um, 
find one that's not based around a heterosexual relationship uh-huh. or where um, being heterosexual is not a given. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot more to choose from that aren't heteronormative uh-huh. these days. Um, but I guess, like, for the sake of old times, I've been reading, rereading the old ones. Yeah. Um, yeah, and something that makes me feel kind of strange is how the main guy is well the ideal main guy that the main character the girl is striving for and wanting to catch the attention of is possessive dominant jealous demanding and yeah i guess that's like a common trope which feels very attractive yeah yeah i wonder why as well i don't know yeah i mean i am a bit of a masochist but i feel guilty about it sometimes i'm like how much did i choose to be this way what's influenced me to be this way i feel like i'm kind of like the opposite like i try to be really like grr out of spite Mm -hmm. like once i read this i think i think it was a tweet or something or like a tumblr post and it was about how when you're walking down a street and you're like a girl and you approach like a man they will like not move aside for you so like Mm -hmm. you end up if you don't move you end up bumping into them and Mm -hmm. i'm like what and i tried it out and like it's kind of true so now i never move away oh like out of spite i'm like like playing chicken like i would keep walking yeah yeah how do you feel oh what's the percentage of people that will move away versus people who don't i think like it's more about distance because if, if you're approaching like a woman she would probably move away like a good like three meters mm. like three when there's three meters in between you but if it's like a man normally they get like right up close and then they realize that you're not moving and then mm. they start to move mm. yeah but people who don't move at all are like very rare oh yeah no i feel that i think um i'm not sure if i do it more these days but i did go go through a period of time where i realized that maybe it has to do with like me being so short (laughs) (laughs) um like on the street like i realized it was a problem where um i was trying so hard to move out of people's ways that sometimes i would put myself onto the trajectory of bumping into another oh, person yeah, and yeah. so walking down the street is kind of a painful ordeal for me <laughs> because <laughs> i feel like um oh, what's that game where you avoid the falling things avoid the falling oh, like things. snake or something like i feel like i'm always trying to dodge things yeah if it's kind of taxing to walk down a busy street um and so i realized it was a problem when i like started tripping over myself (laughs) because i was trying so desperately to get out of people's ways Uh so then one day i guess i was like you know what would change if i just kept walking yeah so um sometimes when i'm walking down the street 
I'll try very hard to like fixate on something in the distance and I'm trying so hard to fixate on that Mm -hmm. and like that's a trick actually I think I learned it from like a tumblr meme or something yeah where um if you look very far and straight and you just stare at it while you walk people will move away yeah right yeah and it worked I saw that too yeah it worked I think it was a part two of like like a like a re reblog of like the original one about oh. like women moving away. And oh, maybe. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. And the reblog, so someone said like, "Oh yeah, you just look at something far away and just keep walking." Yeah. And people will move away. Yeah. Have you tried it? Yeah. Most of the times, it's more about just not looking at the person because once you look at the person, they kind of know that. You, you know that they're there. Mm. So then they expect you to move. But then mm. if you just like look straight ahead, you're like so focused on your goal that they kind of know that you don't know that they're there. Mm. <laughs> so it's very much like a power thing. I think it is. Yeah. Which is why I feel so spited to just mm. not move every single time. Yeah. No. 100% agree. I think I also like represent something bigger than myself as well because I'm so short (laughs) so um it's kind of also a power move to be short and bump into people on the street (laughs) like I think oh I'm doing my part for all the other short people out there (laughs) okay I see that I see that yeah yeah how do we get here from reading A Catcher in the Rye review? We never even oh. read that review. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I, oh at God. one point, like, I noticed when you had your phone ready. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then over time, it just... <laughs> I just stopped realizing that your hand was there. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I think I subconsciously put my phone away as well. <laughs> That's horrible. Just I don't mean... <laughs> Dude, this is what every podcast is like. Yeah. Like, we always go on, like, random tangents, and then we're like, how did we even get here? Mm. Anyways, I'll read the review now. It's by <laughs> a guy called Mark Monday. And then, so, the first one, he's like, today I'm 15 years old. Everything is all bullshit, as usual. I can't believe how fucked everything is around me. I'm surrounded by zombies. I can't even talk to any of my so-called friends. I can't talk to Jamie. I can't talk to my parents. And then he's like, oh, there's one good thing in my life, though. Just read this book, Catcher in the Rye. Blown away. I don't know how a book written decades ago could say exactly what I want to say. So obviously when he's 15 years old, like, this guy really, like, related very deeply to, like, Holden, right? And kind of, like, idolizes Holden. Mm. And then uh, he read it again when he's 20. And uh, he said, I can't believe I ever liked this book. Caulfield is a whiny little bitch. The book has no depth, blah, 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 blah. And so already you can see that, like, in five years, he's, like, changed a lot. He's, like, really disregarded that, like, mentality of thinking that life around him is shit, blah, 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 blah. He now thinks that people who think like that are just, like, overly pessimistic, right? Mm. And then so he read it again at 25. And then he said that this is a beautiful book. It changed my life as a kid, I'm not sure how I would have survived Orange County without it. 
and rereading parts of it brought back all that old angst about all the fucked up shit in the world that kids have to deal with so then by 25 he sees it as like uh like something to remember to remember back on like it's part of his like life journey right he's like more appreciative of that time now and then when he read it he read it again at 30 he's like what an inspiration seriously that is a classic novel it is packed with meaning i am twice caulfield's age but i still somehow connect with him in a very direct way and then he read it again at 35 and he said um it was not an inspiring read caulfield is so full of misplaced angst i'm not sure i even understand him anymore why is he so pissed off and then at 40 he said um i felt like crying a wonderful and moving novel i feel like i really understand holden like he is my guide my son my brother my friend myself it's just so interesting how like every five years he has such a drastic change on how he views that book yeah no that's a good review i was reading along i wasn't just staring at my phone (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah that review was like so personal yeah because this book is actually very polarizing like if you read the Mm. other reviews people either love it or they hate it Mm. but this guy went through like all the different stages of like liking it and then disliking it yeah no it's a really good review it's a really brilliant review Mm -hmm. um and that reminds me of what elif batuman said about her book the idiot which is okay yeah the idiot by Elif Bartman is my favorite book, favorite oh, fiction book. Okay. Nice segue. <laughs> um, no, but um, that book, to sum it up in one line, is about her first year in college at Harvard. Yeah. And the narrator is called Celine. It's supposed to be Elif, kind of. Yeah. Um, so it's semi autobiographical. I think it mostly is autobiographical. Um, but told in a fiction way. And Batuman has a lot to say about fiction versus nonfiction, memoir versus fiction, etc., etc. But what she was saying about that book, so it's about her first year at college. Mm -hmm. And at the time that she wrote it, she was trying very hard to um, turn her experience within a fixed period of time into a narrative. Yeah. And then she kind of left that. Um, sort of as like a discarded manuscript so she did actually write that maybe in her second year of Mm -hmm. uh, college I think or while she was going through first year I'm not too sure Um, and she kind of let that sit in the attic for a bit and then a few years later when um, maybe early 20s she picked it up again and she was like oh my goodness this is gross. I'm going to revise this. This is pure shit. Yeah. So she tried to sort of intellectualize it and she kept on trying to improve it, make it better. And she just couldn't be satisfied with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I guess like then after that, she convinced herself that this was not worth revisiting. Yeah. So then she left it again. Yeah. And then it was only um, years later um i think in her 30s now she read back on it again and she was looking back on her 20s year old self yeah um and thinking why was i trying so hard to make this better 
when it was already okay. This is so, like, reminiscent of this, like, thought that I had the other day, right? Mm. That was, like, the more that time passes, the more you're separated from your past self and that you can, like, really appreciate it for what it was rather than feeling, like, embarrassed from the way that you were, right? Yeah. Because, like, if, um, let's say I did something really embarrassing yesterday. If you brought it up to me again today, I'd be like, oh my god, no, don't talk about it. That was so embarrassing. (laughs) But then if you bring it up, like, I don't know, maybe a year later, I'll be like, haha, that was a funny thing that happened. Mm. Like, once when I was a kid, right, I was, like, probably, like, year five, and I was at, like, an English, like, an English tutoring place, and then for, like, a fun activity, we, like, recited the letters of the alphabet, but, like, one person at a time, it's, like, person with number one, person one would say A, person two would say B, person three would say C, and then it would go on... I don't know, just, like, until the end of the class, right? And then, like, me and my friend were, like, having a little chat as this was going along. And then when it came to, like, my turn, I was, like, I was completely lost at where we were. So then I, like, didn't know what to say, right? Because, <laughs> like, or else it would have been very obvious that I wasn't paying attention. And then, like, someone else had to be, like, psst, it's L. So then I was, like, oh, L. <laughs> and then at the end of the class, some dude was like, bro, you don't know the alphabet? How do you not know the alphabet, bro? And then I felt so embarrassed for some reason. Yeah. And then, uh, like, even a few years later, I was like, oh my god, that was such an embarrassing memory. But then now I think back on it, and I'm like, that is so fucking hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> that is so funny. It's so innocent as well. Bro, yeah. Because <laughs> that guy, well, the person that you asked, they gave you the wrong letter. Oh no, they gave you the right they letter. They gave me the right letter, but it's just like okay. our course was so long. Yeah. That it seemed like I forgot what the next letter of the alphabet was. <laughs> and it's such a stupid thing to prove. Like, no, I do know the alphabet. Yeah, like, I'll send it to you right now. <laughs> That's oh so funny. No, that is so funny. Yeah. Anyways, as you were talking about um, like, the author and her, like, story with that book. It reminded me of, like, that story. Yeah. And it's the same with, like, the review of, like, Catcher in the Rye. How the guy, yeah. like, when he was 30 and he was reviewing on, uh, like, what he thought of the book when he was 15, he was able to be like, oh, I related to that book back then because back then I was at, like, a more primitive stage in my life i don't know if primitive is the right word but like not as advanced you know he was able to like accept the fact that when he was a kid he was probably just immature but then when he was 20 he was like oh how could i ever be so immature Mm. as i was going through first year uni i felt really detached from my high school self yeah as in i really wanted to distance myself from the me in high school. Yeah. I really was embarrassed by who I was in high school. Yeah. I was, yeah, I really wanted to reject that. I didn't want to think that that was an accurate reflection of me. Uh-huh. And yeah, I guess like now, I mean, not much time has passed, but now I'm in second year uni and I look back on that and I think, no, actually, I feel quite tender towards my high school self. Um, I recognise how young I was. And mm-hmm. actually, I think 
my first year uni self was too harsh. I mean, yeah, yeah. But obviously, I was still learning a lot and about the world and yeah. about myself. And now I feel like I can sympathize a lot more with the me in high school and recognize that I was trying my best in the circumstances that I was in um, to live. Yeah. And I identify with that now. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is also something that I learned from Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, so eloquent. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, really, though. Um, she's amazing. Um, but I remember she said one day, I'm probably misquoting her. Uh-huh. But she said, the more that I learn, I realize the less that I know. Oh, like, she said that to me too the other yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's true though. Uh-huh. I feel like every day I'm learning so much more. And at the same time, I realize I know nothing. Yeah. <laughs> But it's not a bad thing. If yeah. I remember correctly, she didn't say that that's it's a bad thing. It's definitely not a bad thing. Because I feel like the people who say that they know everything are actually the most, like, ignorant people. Like, if someone were, mm-hmm. were to say, like, oh, I'm so smart. I know absolutely, like, everything about how the world works. It just shows, like, how little that they're even aware of to say that they know everything that there is out there. Mm. I came across this idea recently. I was listening to um, my favorite podcast. Yeah. It's called Literary Friction. Oh. I was listening to that on the way here. Yeah. And also your podcast. <laughs> I was doing my research. <laughs> um, and I was listening to one episode that they did. It's actually a mini-sode. And the title of it was Joy. So yeah. they were talking about joy. Um, and one idea that really touched me in this podcast was the idea that joy is a generative experience. What does generative mean? To me, it means that it's capable of inspiring more in a very general way, as opposed to something that's quite fixed. To me... The opposite of generative is fixed or quantifiable. Okay. So um, when they said that, they meant that in the context that um, joy as a feeling is not sustainable. Yeah. Like you can't feel joy all the time because then there wouldn't be anything to help you differentiate between something that brings you joy and something that doesn't. Like Uh you need to experience something that... It's not joyful in order for you to fully experience the multitude of things and experiences that do bring you joy. Yeah. Very roundabout way of explaining it. But (laughs) um, basically, like, the idea that I got from that is that it's not healthy to expect anything to give you joy all the time. Yeah. And consistently. The same way that you can't expect someone to be able to bring you joy all the time. Yeah. Like, um, a relation that I think about in terms of that idea is, like, with family, right? Yeah. Um, 
I don't expect to get along with my family all the time. In yeah. fact, I don't expect to get along with them most at of all. The time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but in the times that you do, it feels very joyful mm-hmm. and it feels very serendipitous and um, very. It gives you. It's like a more l- special, right? Yeah. 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 It feels very like instantaneous you feel a very strong sense of like elation uh-huh. it's pretty special when you're able to connect with people um in that way so that's why i think i really resonated with that like true joy is something that should be generative yeah as opposed to fixed yeah um and so i think the pursuit of knowledge or learning should be um, a goal not for the, I guess, like, acquirement of knowledge in a measurable way, but it's a skill that you learn so you can relish in the fullness of life. That's my philosophy towards learning. Oh my gosh, I sound crazy. Wait, I, I, sound don't think, crazy. I don't think I fully understand <laughs> what you just said. Basically, like, if there's anything I've learned in what I study, it's that learning is the end goal. But mm. learning for the sake of learning yeah. and the joy of yeah. learning and the actual feeling of being able to learn something new, that is what you should be striving for yeah as opposed to knowledge that can be measured um but like marks and like test scores and stuff yeah i think marks and test scores are inevitable like i don't have a solution yeah like i don't if i were to say abolish test scores now what's the alternative it's a total reorganization of society i think Yeah, I can't tell if they're, like, inherently a bad thing. I... I don't think... I don't think it is. I think it's, like, the fact that, um, like, people put more of a priority on marks than, like, learning itself is what made the mark system bad. Mm. I think, like, marks in general. Like, it should just be a way of, like, being, like, oh, this student is pretty good, doesn't need any help. This student is struggling and therefore needs more help. You know, it should Mm. just be like that sort of simple method of like furthering like a better way to teach people. Mm. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I'm just thinking of, for example, like AI. Uh Uh-huh. Um... Because AI, hypothetically, is fair. It's not human. Yeah. So the example that I'm thinking of is, like, the way that AI are being used... AI is being used nowadays for, like, job interviews. Yeah. Um, to sort through applicants. But... Um, so hypothetically, that's a fair use of AI. Yeah. But in reality, AI reinforces a lot of the biases we have 
towards certain people uh-huh. and by that I mean demographics and by that I mean <laughs> bias towards white people yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah to put that very plainly um hypothetically AI is a solution to that bias but in reality it's kind of like maybe that's not what we should be using AI for if AI if we kind of accept that AI is doomed forever uh-huh. to reinforce um human errors yeah because I mean AI is AI but who writes the AI yeah it's humans right yeah so if there's no chance that we can eradicate that bias and I'm very strongly in on the side that yeah we can't ever hope to build anything that reaches beyond what humans are capable of in general yeah yeah. and I don't know if we should build things that can um so I guess the argument that I'm aware of in that sort of tech world or like AI world today Uh is then what can we use AI for or what should we use AI for yeah is there an answer to that is there like a general consensus I don't think there's a general consensus Um. I think using AI for job interviews um is cheaper than yeah cheaper and less effort than if someone were to sit down and sort through all of that. Yeah. And then, I don't know. I have my own hot take on that. What is your hot take? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, okay, it's not really a hot take. Um, but I think there are... Actually, no, it's not a hot take. I think oh. there are things that we should definitely veer away from. Um, and there are other things that AI can be used for. <laughs> so what, what are some of the things that AI can be used for? Um, well, okay. If like, if you were to say that AI, okay, dramatic, but yeah. if AI is doomed to replicate human bias, yeah. then very clearly, then we should use AI to solve problems that bias won't be endangering any groups of people or any specific individuals in the first place for example you can use ai in really fun and creative ways yeah right like creating a recipe you can you can make you can make ai for really simple things like that yeah um you can code something to do something like that um this is kind of an idea that I got from one of my uni tutors recently. It's for our experience design subject. His name is Peter Wildman. I think his work is online. Oh. To anyone listening, please check him out. He's very inspiring. Um yeah, so we were talking the other day. So this is an idea that's quite fresh in my mind. Um and I didn't think I was interested in like the tech side of design. Yeah. I always thought I would go into something more um, print based or more commercial, but 
this is interesting to I mean experience design is really interesting yeah and something that he said the last time I talked to him um, was that he thinks technology is often used to make things more productive and it's very much based on functionality uh-huh. um, but he believes that there is an inherent value in making technology do simple things and he believes that there is value in making beautiful things and he told me so make something beautiful and that really stuck with me because I mean if we like apply that to what I was saying about the AI and the job that sort of through the job interviews yeah I think that's insidious because that's an example of AI being used for productive and functional means but there are so many other ways that we can again use it for like generative means yeah not to replace a human endeavor or action but as something that can coexist with how our society is already organized Mm. i feel like i'm being very vague i don't know what's your interpretation on that i i think like when you said uh for writing recipes that was like very refreshing because like in my mind i have i haven't really thought about this before but my experiences with ai were like you know there's like shows (laughs) like on youtube that that is just like like a beauty vlogger like like a lifestyle vlogger but she's like a like an ai person oh no i've never seen that it's like basically like she's like 3d imaged so and she looks really really realistic and like the channel is just her pretending that she's like a real person so this is like oh what i eat in a day or like oh um day a day in my life so like all those like very typical like youtuber like titles but she's like an ai person she's just like not real mm. so then i thought that was like a way to use ai but then i think that would also perpetuate like human biases because like the things that she talks about the things that she's interested in and the things that she showcases i feel like it's very easy for like bias to like seep into those things mm. you know so like that would also not really be an ideal way to utilize AI and then yeah I never even thought about like using AI to like write recipes or do simple things like that like that thought has never crossed my mind oh yeah funnily enough um actually there's an uh essay that I I only just remembered and like I got all of these ideas from Uh these ideas are not mine I did not make them in my head (laughs) um no (laughs) um but yeah, I guess like in this essay, um, I think the title of the book that this essay is in is called You Look Like a Thing and I Love You, which is oh. actually something that an AI wrote. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, the essay, it's like a chapter in that book. Yeah. So I forget the name, um, but the whole essay in my 
interpretation was uh, an argument for the case that we should use AI for more simple but profound things as opposed to replacing human action. And um, the author was giving examples of how she had used AI, um, artificial intelligence, and also machine learning to... Like, the general process that she uses is that she gives the AI a database or a data set Uh and she gives it a command to learn from this data set yeah like they're very very fast yeah um and you turn the code on i don't know i don't know tech lingo okay i don't study tech yeah (laughs) i'm sure there's a lot of people who are going to be shaking their head right now (laughs) but um so yeah so one of the things that she used one of the things that she coded was that she gave this AI access to a whole bunch of recipes and then oh. it then it would create recipes based on all of these recipes that yeah. it's kind of reading like if you put it into like um the actions of a human it would be like giving a human like a million recipe books yeah. and this human was able to scan every single ingredient yeah. and every single recipe and then take all of that knowledge and then spit out their own recipes based on reading those millions of recipes and then so she did that for Mm -hmm. the recipes yeah and then eventually it created an actual recipe that sort of did make sense and you could cook and she did the same thing with knock knock jokes yeah and um she gave this she coded an AI that read a whole bunch of knock-knock jokes, mm-hmm. probably thousands, Yeah, at, like, lightning speed. Oh, my God. Dude, that wise. That sounds so funny. Like, imagine, like, yeah. a whole series of knock-knock jokes. Like, oh, knock-knock, who's there? Yeah. Interrupted cow, interrupted cow, mood. Like, the concept of, like, an AI processing that is very funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> And that's the thing. It's like wait, I need a pee first. Oh, go pee. I want to find this joke for you. Okay, please do. I want to see the recipe as well. Yeah. What sort of food it made? Okay, I'll let me. I'll see if I can. So. Okay, I'm back. Welcome back. (sighs) That was a very satisfying pee. Oh, I'm glad. That was a lot of water. Yeah, I drank a lot of water just then. I found the knock knock joke. Oh my god, I'm so excited to hear it. Yeah, so the person who writes this book, I think, is, okay, researcher Janelle Shane, uh-huh. and she has a blog, it's a Tumblr, called aiweirdness.tumblr.com. Yeah. Um, and so, the knock-knock joke, I'll read out an example. Uh-huh. No, actually, you read out the example of... The- one of the examples of the failed knock-knock jokes. Okay. But is also surprisingly really funny. Okay. It's ridiculous. But you just go down, starting from knock-knock, and then there's okay. like an ad. Knock-knock. Who's there? Oh, wait. oh, I say knock-knock, and you say who's there? Or... Oh. I think I have to say knock-knock then. Okay. Oh, yeah, you have okay. to say knock-knock. Knock-knock. Who's there? No, you... <laughs> 
I say knock knock. Okay. You say okay. who's there. You say yeah. knock knock. Knock knock. Who's there? Alec. Alec who? Is this Alec who? <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Maybe I'll just read it out. Knock knock. Who's there? Alec. Alec who? <laughs> wow, Kopu the 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 Dodge the Scout. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my and if you god. scroll down a bit further, it gets to the AI generated knock knock joke. Oh my god, the next one is knock knock, who's there? Alec, Alec who? Alec knock knock jokes. That one is so good. Right? Yeah. It's becoming self-aware. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good knock-knock joke. Yeah. It's such a good knock-knock joke that it feels like it would have been done before. And yeah. But no. I'm surprised that, like, an AI came up with this. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of, like, you know those memes on, like, Facebook or whatever that it's like, I made a robot watch 10,000 hours of, like, Superman, and this is what the AI wrote. And it's, like, a script of Superman, but it's, like, <laughs> but it just has all yeah. the tropes, like, all the time. Yeah. I'm pretty sure those are, like, fake. I'm pretty sure they just write the script themselves as, like, a meme. Oh, I don't know. I've seen... It's kind of trendy on YouTube yeah. as well. Yeah. Like, I made an AI write a rom-com and then they yeah. animate it on those websites where yeah, you can... Yeah, yeah, I never... It never occurred to me that they're not written by an AI. I think I saw, like, a comment that was like, oh, I wonder how they do it. And then someone was mm. like, oh, it's probably fake because, like, making an AI create a full script would be, like, very complex it would be long but i think you could make it happen yeah i'm not too sure i don't know enough about actually making them to know whether it's um achievable or not but i mean i could see how it could be done i mean this one is like a knock knock joke is really short Uh but the same author janelle shane um, was able to code an AI to create a whole bunch of recipes with full ingredients Oh my god, yeah, did you methods. find the recipe? Like, what was the one that it created? I um, kind of want to make it. Like, I want to know what it tastes like, you know? I think it has, like, blood in it. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't find the actual recipe. Okay, the correct term for AI is neural network so oh. you train the neural network to generate cookbook recipes or whatever yeah, yeah. so i think that's a more accurate term okay in case yeah. anyone's scratching their head um <laughs> um i can't find the actual recipe but there are a whole bunch of sample recipe titles so these are titles that okay. they've generated yeah from uh learning from the huge recipe database yeah okay i'll read some out to you okay Onion orange brownies. Okay. Shredded cheese bananas. (laughs) 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 Don't you read the third one? (laughs) 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 
<laughs> what the fuck? Monk blub. <laughs> Monk blueberries crusted carrots. Oh Ew. my god. Crusted Wait, what is blueberry? Who's monk blueberry? Who's Who's monk blueberry? I don't know. Oh, the one of them is called oven meat. One of them is called hen pan. One of them is called chest soup. One of them is called Oh, it says cheese fries, but I thought I said cheese friends. What's a friend? I don't know. Sauce ladies mustard cookies. There's one called Terror Fill Book. There's one called Banana Washed. <laughs> like banana? Yeah. Comma? Washed. No, it's just banana washed. But I think it's like banana washed. Banana washed. There's New one York, called New York. <laughs> New York, New York. <laughs> and there's one called chocolate spinach prunes. <laughs> and there's one called all fog day cream. <laughs> but I don't even know what fog is. <laughs> like F O A G, all fog day cream. <laughs> but it's actually, wait, there's a hyphen between all and fog and fog and day. So it's all fog day. Oh, wait, all folk day cream. Yeah. <laughs> all hyphen folk hyphen day cream. Yeah. Okay, this one sounds pretty good. Phillips chicken <laughs> with upright cheese crumbs. Upright cheese crumbs. <laughs> as opposed to cheese crumbs on their side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's a cheese crumb? Oh, I didn't even think about that. What is a cheese crumb? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm feeling. I'm really feeling the chest soup. I think. Okay, I think I know exactly what chest soup is. I think. Ch- <laughs> you look so shocked. What is it? I think chest soup is like something similar to like chicken noodle soup or like soup that you eat when you're sick, like a stereotypical sick people soup. Because, okay, when I think of chest, right, I've been watching Big Bang Theory, and then Sheldon, the main character, he's all, like, whenever he's sick, he's like, oh, can you rub vapor rub on my chest? So mm. chest, vapor rub, equals sick. Soup equals chicken noodle soup equals sick. So chest soup equals sick people soup. That's, that's my thought process behind that. <laughs> True. Let's make chest soup happen. If I'm sick, will you make some chest soup for me? Yeah. Okay. Chest soup. I'm going to ask you for this some chest soup. Also sounds like euphemism for breast milk. Ew, no. Chest soup. Like, I... Breast I'm, milk. Give me a second. I'm going to give my child some chest soup. Oh! No, that could... No, that's... That's not bad. <laughs> I still think it sounds weird. I think Off. I think I'm imagining like a human chest. The human chest <laughs> in the soup. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh my god. But um, no. I searched up chest soup, and it's all about chicken soup. I was right. It is chicken noodle soup. I think you're onto something. 
homemade chicken soup for the flu. <gasps> Wait, are you kidding? I'm right? Yeah. Holy crap. Dude, why is my mind so big brain? Bro, maybe we should end the podcast. It's been two hours and 13 minutes. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, I've like long overstayed my welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no one is even listening anymore. <laughs> yeah. We started talking about like AI and we're like, what is this all about? <laughs> yeah. I... Um, yeah, if you've listened to this long, message me and I'll give you a free iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> I want the free iPhone. Requirement, you're not at a shoe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that means, like, hypothetically, we've both talked for over one hour continuously. Yeah. I'm thirsty. I'm so thirsty. Damn, uni lecturers. Holy shit, true. Anyways, um, this is the end of this episode. <laughs> we already talked about books. Yeah. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye. Bye.